Would you pray with me, please? Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. What's the limit on how much we can cry? That was the headline on the front cover of my Tuesday copy of the New York Times. What's the limit, the headline asked, on how much we can cry? Feels like each day brings a new cause for despair of late, does it not? And I don't just mean the last few weeks, I mean the last few years, the last many years, actually. A global pandemic killing over six million and still counting. Wars erupting all over the globe with children and civilians being targeted in the barbarity. Mass shootings taking place seemingly every other week. Long-suppressed racial tensions being brought increasingly to the fore. Families and churches and politics being split apart by questions of individual liberty and human sexuality. Opportunistic politicians taking advantage of our collective anxieties by further stoking them. And none of this even begins to scratch the surface of things like loved ones being lost to illness or tragedy. And marriages falling apart with hearts and lives being broken. Addictions slipping into people's lives and thereby into the lives of their loved ones. Siphoning off joy, drink by drink, pill by pill, click by click. Yes, what's the limit on how much we can cry? The Times writer asks. To which we collectively respond. Indeed. Indeed. Let me tell you how the Apostle Paul ends his Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2, this sermon we just read the first part of. Peter ends this sermon by saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. This after he has just proclaimed the good news of Jesus' resurrection and the promised future of God's coming kingdom. This after he has just quoted the prophet Joel about the power of the Holy Spirit to enliven visions of a better world and to awaken dreams for a restored reality. Save yourselves, he then implores them, from this corrupt generation. This corrupt generation. It's vital that we understand something here. It's vital that we understand that Peter is not referring here to specific deeds of ungodly people, but that instead Peter is referring here to the entire broken state of things. That is what this generation means in the biblical context refers to an entire era. Thus, Peter is referring here to the entire era that began with the fall of humankind, 
And he's pointing toward the promised new era that the Hebrew prophets and priests had been for centuries assuring the Hebrew people would indeed one day come. This Jesus whom you crucified, he goes on to say, has been raised from the dead and he has ascended to the right hand of God and he is even now preparing things for the coming day when all of this mess, all of this evil, all of this suffering, all of this pain, all of this injustice, he is even now, Peter says, preparing things for the coming day when all of this will be straightened out and made whole. So believe that, he is imploring them. Trust that. Place your hope in that, he says. And then he says, repent of your complicity with and or your acceptance of the way things are in this broken reality. And once more yearn for and live as if the new era is already here. For Christ's resurrection and ascension promise us, he is saying, that it soon will be. Save yourselves, he implores them, from this corrupt generation to which we all collectively respond all these years later. Indeed. Indeed. Not the way it's supposed to be. That is the title of pastor and theologian Neil Plantiga's 1995 best-selling book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Such a powerful phrase, not the way it's supposed to be. We too easily lose sight of the fact, but this is the foundational hope and belief of Christian faith, that things in this world are not the way they're supposed to be, but that one day they will be. We as Christians are people who claim that everything about the current state of things is broken, corrupted, to use Peter's language. But nonetheless, we are a people who claim that one day all that is broken will be mended and transformed. That through Christ we can and will be saved from the devastation and despair and wreckage of this present corruption. This is our foundational claim, our bedrock hope. But my heavens, can it be hard sometimes to believe it? My heavens, can it be hard sometimes not to be pulled under by the brutal tides of this corrupt generation? Today is Pentecost Sunday. The day, according to the Christian calendar, on which we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's a remarkable story, this story from Acts chapter 2, the one we read each year on Pentecost. The disciples huddled in a room for fear, 
suddenly emboldened to take to the streets to proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection and coming kingdom. How they suddenly spoke in various new languages, languages not their own. How those gathered outside all heard their proclamation in ways that they, the hearers, could rightly understand it. How Peter stood up among them and began preaching. And how his sermon was somehow infused with this new mysterious spirit. How this spirit somehow enlivened his words and gave them a vitality that he himself could never have generated on his own. It's a truly remarkable story. But I sometimes think we forget what the story was all about. Beyond the tongues and the mystery and the wonder and the power, beyond all of that, I think we sometimes forget that it was all about people coming to believe. About people regaining hope about people who were suffering under the weight of a corrupt generation suddenly being made to believe that this corruption would be undone. Yes, I think we sometimes forget that at its core, this story is about people who'd been wondering what the limit on crying is, suddenly finding themselves persuaded That no matter how many tears had been shed, one day all of those tears would be dried. Hear me, Peter commands them, preparing them to hear him quote from the prophet Joel. Hear me, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day, a day he later refers to as the restoration of all things. That day, that restoration is coming, Peter is urging them in this sermon. And these sufferings of ours are not for naught, he is exhorting them. For God's word will not return unto God void, he is reminding them. For this is not the way it's supposed to be, he is declaring to them. And so I beg you, he concludes, believe that. Repent and save yourselves. From this corrupt generation. We talked last week about the interim period between the already and the not yet, and about how the Apostle Paul, describing the felt reality of this interim period, refers to it as a state of groaning. Meanwhile, we groan, he writes. Meaning, no matter what we ourselves are personally burdened with. No matter what realities are currently causing collective anxiety. No matter how broken things are, and no matter how much good and beauty and joy, no doubt, do still exist in this brokenness. No matter, Paul writes, in this interim, we groan. It's just the way things are, he is saying, 
when things are not the way they are supposed to be. But, and here's what everything turns on, both for Paul and for Peter, just as for all of us who confess Jesus Christ as the risen and ascended Lord of all, but, grown though we may, this interim period is but only an interim. And that which is not the way it is supposed to be one day will be, And the vision and the dream of a restored and transformed reality, this vision and this dream that sits at the core of our shared humanity, that this is indeed a viable hope. And in this hope, Paul writes, we are saved. Saved, that is, from the otherwise overwhelming despair that can be brought on by this corrupt generation. Yes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, St. John writes, describing his own vision of this very thing, of this very coming reality. And I saw the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, See, the home of God is now among mortals. God will dwell with them. He will wipe every tear from every eye, and death will be no more, and mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the old things will have finally passed away. That's St. John's vision. That's St. John's dream. And in a broken world, it is so easy for us to lose sight of this, our Christian hope. In a corrupt generation, it is so easy for us to give up on this, our Christian vision. In a reality in which things are so demonstrably not as they are supposed to be, it is so easy for us to give up on this, our Christian dream. But as poet Langston Hughes writes, himself no stranger to pain and despair, hold fast to dreams. For if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Dear family, hear and receive this good news. On this Pentecost Sunday, just as on that first Pentecost, the spirit of the risen Jesus can indeed pierce through our pessimism and our anguish and our cynicism and our despair and can indeed reignite our hope, enabling us to look at the brokenness of this world with fresh eyes, no longer overcome by it, or apathetic toward it, or complicit with it, but suddenly recommitted to living in defiance of it, to living now in light of what is to come, to redirecting our groanings toward a coming reality in which they will one day be transformed, to being saved from this corrupt generation. Yes, what is the limit 
on how much we can cry. Well, sadly, the Apostle Paul answered this question long ago, assuring us that in this interim period, amid this groaning, there unfortunately is no limit. But he also promised us that amid our tears and our groaning, we can hope. And that hope, he explained, can enliven something in us we'd forgotten we ever even had. That that hope can cause us to dream once more. And in this hope, he writes, we are saved. This hope. This dream, this one right here, that God will be with us. That one day God will wipe every tear from every eye. And that mourning and crying and tears and pain one day will be no more. And so in language that is not my own but Langston Hughes's, and in hopes that the Spirit of God will enliven the words with a vitality that I could never generate on my own, I say, hold fast to this dream. Hold fast to this Christian dream. In a time when we wonder if we'll ever stop crying again, in a time when the world feels like a wasteland, and our capacity for hope sometimes seems lost. Hold fast to this dream. For one day it will be a reality. Yes, dear family, hold fast to this hope. And save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Amen.